Welcome to the first part of a very special three-part episode of the Magnificent Whiskers podcast. We had an opportunity to sit down with Cass McGann, also from the Netherlands. What a wonderful conversationalist. Colby and I had a wonderful time talking with her, so much so that the conversation continued for several hours after we stopped recording. And I just wanted to take this opportunity to say thank you for listening to the show. If you wouldn't mind just taking a couple of moments to like, to rate, to comment, to review the the show in the iTunes or whatever podcatcher you're using, we would deeply appreciate that. I think you're really going to enjoy the wide breadth of topics and uh, laughter that's had throughout the conversation here. And I want to get out of the way so you can dive right in. So once again, thank you. And without further ado, please enjoy this episode of Magnificent Whiskers. Hello, and thank you so much for joining us for this episode of the Magnificent Whiskers podcast. As always, my name is Remy. Today, I'm here with Colby. Hello. And we have a very special guest on the show today, uh, somebody who I have been just desperately looking forward to having on the show, uh, my absolute favorite polyglot in the entire world. Say hello, Cass McGann. Hello. Thank you so much for taking a couple of minutes out of your extremely busy lifestyle to um, spend some time shooting the shit with Colby and I. I really appreciate it. Oh, no problem. I've been looking forward to it, too. This is exciting. Oh, you're just saying that. Mm-mm. <laughs> nope. nope. I have received monetary... Remu- re- you know, if I could say remuneration... Remuner- re- remuneration. You know, remuneration. <laughs> it would have been a lot better joke. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I agree. Um, we can fix it in post. That's fine. Uh, <laughs> you, you gave me money. I came on because you gave me money. There it is. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. the whole $4 that Magnificent Whiskers has made so far with our ad revenue allows us to afford such distinguished and quality guests as, uh, as Cass. Now Cass is, um, the, is also, you're living in the Netherlands. So you're coming from us from the other side of the world. The other side. Does of that the count? World. Does that count the, as the other side of the world? Well, it is. I mean, yeah, because it's the sun doesn't hit us at the same time. Okay. Yeah. My, okay. my sun is going down. Your sun has just come up. Yes, it just has. Up, but yeah. Not that you yeah. can fucking tell. No. It's, no. it's another side of the world at the very least. Yeah. It's, degrees. Yeah, it's not. It's not directly the other side of the world, but it's it's pretty close. I'm so tired know. of living where the air hurts my face, and I oh, have yeah. fur. I have fur on my face. I have a tremendous amount, a luxurious amount, even. Of I'm fur. telling you, people complain about the weather in the Netherlands. Oh, it rains all the time and all that kind of stuff. And it doesn't rain any more than it rains in freaking Pennsylvania. Let me tell you. But um, but honestly, Never this time of, of year. Hmm? Never thought of that. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. <laughs> um, and this time of year, it's like you get up in the morning and you're like, oh, it's two degrees. Well, it's two degrees Celsius, which is above freezing. And you can go outside and it doesn't hurt your face. It's just amazing. <clears throat> to me. Like I can go for a walk in the woods and it, it's not freezing cold. As if I wasn't jealous enough. Yeah, be jealous. Be you jealous. Know, they say it never rains in Southern California. Yeah. Okay, but we have to stop yeah. there because I can't afford any more of that song. But then you have to be in Southern California, and Southern California is not nice. It's not nice? Really? It's not nice. So it's always been a goal of mine to live in California. Mm. But I understand mm. that, like, it's so expensive. It's it's really expensive and not worth it. You don't think so? No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a pretty 
people used to say to me, oh, you should go to California. You'll love California. It's, it's exactly the place for you. And I went to California and went, this is awful. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's, there, is, there is no place in, in the United States, I don't think, except possibly Manhattan, where the distinction between the rich and the poor is greater. It's just, it's in every, every square foot of the street you walk down. It it just glares you in the face. It just, it's so glaring and it's so disgusting. And, you know, normal people can't buy a house because the property values are so high. Yeah, it's pretty Everyone, everyone I know, you know, middle-class people who on the East Coast would be able to own a nice house will never own a house in southern california you know that's actually that's actually kind of interesting because i was just looking through um like uh due to conversation i was having online i was looking at like the disparity in property value versus rent rates Mm -hmm. and uh where you had lived which is the same area that jeremy and i live now in general um has some of the worst disparity in the country like while it's not quite to the like the magnified extent that it is out in California. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking up a little bit and for anyone who is interested, uh, they have a calculation that shows you like the, the ratio of the value of your, of property in an area versus the rent. And mm-hmm. if that number is under about 15, it's considered um, uh, heavily in favor of owning rather than renting. Mm-hmm. Um and I did the math for my area at one point. And so anything under 15 is considered except like exceptionally leaning towards owning in my area of that, where I live in Sunbury, it's about seven. Mm-hmm. So it's about half as affordable, mm-hmm. uh, which is already pretty terrible, but that I think shocks me. Yeah. Well, it, the property values in general are really low but the relative rate of rent is very high. Oh, I like, see. Like so, see. so it's like um, a home in my area. I think the average value is only like ninety three thousand when I looked it up. Mm-hmm. But rent for a two bedroom apartment is an average of eight hundred and twenty five dollars. Yeah. Uh, which is disturbingly close to what it costs to rent a home in Philadelphia. Oh which yeah, and I, I mean, let me tell you about huge Philadelphia. Disparity. I lived outside Philadelphia for a number of years and I bought outside Philadelphia because I was paying $800 a month for rent and a mortgage on a house rather than a two bedroom apartment, you know, a four bedroom house, not a, not a huge house. I mean, they weren't four big bedrooms and one can argue that it was really two bedrooms and two <laughs> other rooms, you know, two but, walk-in closets, Yeah, two walking, which is how I use them because, you know, <laughs> um, <laughs> And, um, but it was the, the, the price of the house, the, the mortgage was mortgage payment was $650 a month. Well, Colby, that's literally the conversation you and I were just having a week or two ago where like, so you just described how many bedrooms does your house presently have? Uh, my house is three bedrooms, one bathroom. And for um, most, and it's so, about, I, I think it's about 1,500 square feet. And for yeah. most other places like that, in, in the town that you're in, the town that I'm in, which is about uh, like an hour or so's drive away, um, and everything in between, for that same place to be able to rent that, it is common to find $1,000 a month 
They want first month's rent, last month's rent, and security deposit. So you have to have three stacks before you can move in. No smoking, no pets, no children, and nothing is included. Madness. Yeah. And, and that is in an area with some of the worst education scores, with some of the worst job prospects, because they are in the with process some of the of lowest trying, credit. Yeah. And they're in the process of trying to gentrify the area, which I guess like trying to take a step back and looking at it from the perspective of the property owners and the people who are trying to revitalize these towns. I understand that the efforts that they're trying to make, they're trying to make their money. Right. But that's not how you attract people. Like poor people need somewhere to go. And they well, yeah, and go the other thing is, Yeah. I mean, poor people need somewhere to go. And also if, if you're pricing the place outside of what people who already live there, I mean, what are you going to do? You think you're going to import people? You think people are going to come to that area to, to work where there are no jobs? Exactly. I mean, who exactly are you going to get? And the per- the, so the point of me bringing this up was, mm-hmm. I know, so you can, you can expect to pay around $1,000 a month. And Colby was telling me like his mortgage, including taxes and insurance is <laughs> like hundreds of dollars less than that. If yeah. I, I know for a fact that I could go and I could draw, I could get a loan for 50 grand and buy upwards of a four bedroom house that actually was a four bedroom house in one of the in-between towns between where Colby and I live. And mm-hmm. I'd be paying a $500 a month in a mortgage. It's, it's madness. It is it's absolute madness. madness. I live in a dump at the moment yeah. and I'm paying almost $800 a month with, uh, I think my garbage is included. And that's because it's part of like, it's part of a building that has like three other houses attached to it. Jeez. Yeah. Le- legitimately. Every time I go to your house, your the entire back of your house, including your bathroom is falling off more. Uh, it, you're, you're probably not wrong. And we've also talked about that. And so I also read a, a statistic um, recently uh, that said that if you are considered poor, if you're low income, you are 30%. I think it was more likely to be bullied in school. Oh, sure. Uh, of which yeah. of course, you know, it definitely rang true and rang some bells for me because I was fucking brutalized while I was all, all my, my entire time I was in school until, until about 11th grade. Um, mm-hmm. Cause this really interesting thing happened where I stopped paying attention. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean it stopped. Um, you are, I just don't remember it continuing. I was going to say you were also um, in multiple sports and got really, really pretty. <laughs> well gee thank you colby i suppose that could have impacted the situation a little bit um i also like i think that a little bit of it had to do with the fact that that the summer before my 11th grade year my father had passed away and so uh i developed this thing called a spinal cord um where i i decided i was done taking people's shit and there's just something about walking with your back straight and your eyes forward instead of down that eliminates you as a target until yeah. you start going into bars and then it makes you a target. Sure. For some reason, when I go out with my friends, I'll never forget. I went to a memorial for someone uh, and a whole group of my friends, I think Colby included had, had all gone out to this bar. Cause that's where this, this person died very suddenly had children and uh, they were trying to raise some money for the kids to like, you know, help out. And so we're all there and we're all shooting pool and we had all purchased like, some wristbands and stuff like that to try and like do our part and paid our, our price at the door to get in and all that kind of good stuff. 
and somebody who is very very drunk walks up to the group and like tries to get everybody to buy some stuff and like not all of my friends they're they're all you know oh yeah this guy's drunk like we're just gonna try to let him say what he wants to say but he won't leave people alone so i was like hey buddy like we already purchased our wristbands thank you so much but we're good and something about that and i don't know if it was the grin on my face i don't know what it was but like he like got in my face and started like threatening to kill my family and like all kinds of crazy stuff. And this, this seems to happen almost without fail. Like obviously I'm doing something to, Mm -hmm. to attract this sort of behavior, but this is part of the reason I don't go to bars is because like if I'm standing and especially if I'm with a group of people, I laugh loudly I have a big broad smile. I stand with my back straight and I don't like, and I look people in the eye when they talk to me. And apparently that's like aggressive. Wow. I mean, this is not something that happens in my world, (laughs) Um, but I I remember um, when I was, I was dating a guy from uh, Laurel, Maryland and his roommate, his housemate really had, um, his housemate's stepfather, it gets complicated, had a cabin in the hunting area in Pennsylvania, you know, the one of the state parks, right, where gotcha. people go and hunt deer. So it, it was a deer cabin, you know, but he wanted to take a bunch of friends to um, to this cabin just to have a party for the weekend, you know, so so I went and a bunch of other people from Maryland went and this guy was from, he was originally from Danville and I was from Coltmont. And, um, but we weren't living there at the time. And he, I remember at one point we were driving around, it was freezing freaking cold <laughs> and, um, they, they all had Jeeps and we were like, you know, riding around these Jeeps in places where cars can't go. You know, it was really kind of really, 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 really cool. And, um, there was no snow on the ground. It was just freezing cold. And we decided, oh, let's stop and, and go somewhere and have a beer, you know? And we stopped at this bar that was one of those places that's like, you know, a building built out of cinder blocks. There's like no effort to make it look oh nice God, yeah. at all. And we walked in there and it was one of the, like, like you know, the, the joke. Everyone turns around and looks at you because they don't know who you are and everybody else in the place knows who they are and knows each other. And the guys, I never saw them look so small. Like the women walked in, the women who in our group walked in and we're just like, yeah, yeah, we're here and we're going to have a beer and maybe we'll play some pool and that'll be cool. And then we'll leave. And the the guys were just like, everybody shrunk about six inches. Really? And, and they, and I was like, dudes, what's wrong? You know, I'm like, we're not here like calling anybody names. We're here to pay them money and drink some beer. And then we're going to go, you know, but they like, they just walked in there and, and totally went defensive, you know, and not just defensive, but kind of like hiding. Like oh, I'm going to take my, like, one of the guys wore this kind of funky hat, the knit hat with the, it, you know what I mean when I say the Jane hat, right? Yes, absolutely. Yes. This was 15 years before firefly was on but but he was wearing he was wearing something that looked like the jane hat that weird shape with the side flaps and stuff like canadian ear flap hat yeah 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 and that's what he wore in it was just like he was a goofy guy and that's the hat that he wore in the winter time but he like walked into this bar and took one look at the place and just ripped it off his own head so that he didn't look weird and i was like boy 
guys, guys have it hard because I, I don't give yeah. a fuck about anything except do you have yingling black and tan on tap? This <laughs> must be why I keep getting, uh, getting into these confrontations because yeah. I do literally the exact opposite. I mean, mm-hmm. well, I don't want to say the exact opposite, but I don't shrink at all. Yeah. And, and this, this is the thing we i've been to many bars with these people in maryland you know in baltimore and i never saw this behavior in baltimore but there we were in you know deer hunting camp and they they just like walked into the room and and got a whiff of they should not be there or something and 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 just got weird i was like i didn't know what was going on i'm like i'm 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 you know little little miss uh, different cultures and i walked into a culture that they just it it clashed yeah you know and and i'm like well let's just and 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 they were nervous the entire time they were there i'm like should we just go we can just go we don't have to stay here we can go and buy beer and drink it ourselves you know yeah and and but they were just like totally didn't feel somehow didn't feel welcome aggressively unwelcome <laughs> Yeah, I I have definitely experienced that. It it's it's weird. It, it's a it's not too often in this area because I'm from this area. Mm-hmm. But uh, when I when I moved down to Philly, because I lived in Philadelphia myself for about two years in college. Oh, where did uh, you live? Uh, I lived in Bridesburg and then in um, Center City for a little while, and I lived out in West Philly at. Um, I lived on 49th and Locust. So hard to oh, not wow. sing. So hard to not sing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. what, are you, what are you singing? Uh, he said West Philadelphia. West and, Philadelphia. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I can't. I, I just want to say born and raised. So, but no, we got to stop. We can't afford this. No, we can't. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, lived, I lived out that way uh, for, about, for about another six months of the two years I was there. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, there were definitely a couple times I remember I went to a bar on the way home from work one time that was right between where I worked on 40th Street and home. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that like they constantly had karaoke advertised for this one night a week. And they had uh, a competition where you could like win $200 if you won or like $50 if you got second. So I was just like, I am. I am destitute. I need some money. <laughs> and so I... Best way to make money without taking your clothes off. Uh, yeah. And I went in and like, it was a bar called Watutsi. Mm-hmm. And this is a... It, I, I obviously realized that once I went in and it was confirmed later is like an expressly like black bar in Philly. Mm-hmm. This is where a lot of the black population in Philly goes, and I did not know that. And it pretty quickly dawned on me, especially with some of the looks I got when I walked in, that mm-hmm. uh, I wasn't exactly unwelcome, but man, people knew I was yeah. there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, and uh, <laughs> and like I, I was there. I had I had a drink. Um, when I, I knew I was definitely in a, in a place that did not expect me when I asked for a whiskey sour and the bartender had to ask me, what is that? Oh, wow. And I was just like, <laughs> oh, it's whiskey and sour stuff. I don't know what, <laughs> I don't I don't know. Know what you want from me here. Uh, and like I, I, I hung out for long enough to 
sing my two songs and get out. And I didn't even stay to find out, find out if I had done well. Like the D the, the DJ really liked me and said I did well, but I didn't stay long enough. Cause I was just like, I am uncomfortable here. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't, and it wasn't like a, Oh, black people around. I'm uncomfortable. It's, I am clearly like expressly other in this place and everyone is paying attention to me. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. That's what, that was kind of the same thing this was, but it wasn't, none of the women were feeling that way, but, but the guys were just like, yeah, okay, let's go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's just, and yeah, it really, it's not, it's not a race thing because we walked into this bar and I mean, number one, everyone in the bar was white. And we were all white, ostensibly, mostly white, mostly white. And um, <laughs> some of us, some of us a little less white than others. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and, and, and more importantly, you know, some of us, it was, we were central Pennsylvania. We were in central Pennsylvania and most, not most of us, but about half of us were central Pennsylvanians, but we'd been away for so long. We, we forgot the walk, you know? Yeah. <laughs> this is so a boon, I assure you. We just walked in and we're like, hey, we're from the city. And we didn't say that, but you know, it's, it, it, you smell of it. You reek of it. <laughs> yeah, especially to rural folks. And like, because for whatever reason, not whatever reason, I think we've really di- di- do- dove. I think we've really dived. Dived? Divin? Divin. Divin. Did we divin? Into this idea of like uh, the cultural indoctrination of uh, poor being noble. Like being poor has a, uh, comes with nobility. And if you're from the city, you have money and money is the root of all evil. And so like, if you're from the city, you're bad and you're other and you're less than somehow. Oh yeah. And we're getting the whole, the whole, you know, college kid vibe i mean we were we, we weren't far from state college but none of us went to penn state you know none of us were from there um but you you got that kind of feeling like they were the they were the townies and we were the college kids and we're like but we're not we're 25 years old <laughs> you know? right no and and that's been a lot we we work for a living too guys <laughs> you know? yeah that's uh that attitude really gets under my skin but that's going to take us off on a whole other tangent um i did so obviously colby and i are very very comfortable talking with you Cass. um not just because you're a fantastic conversationalist but we've actually known you for some time and yeah. i really wanted to take a minute to just kind of let the listeners know where we originally met um and they're going to notice that there's a little bit of overlap here with the previous interview that we did uh but i assure you these are separate people and um we are we really separate people you really are ask uh, anyone who knows us <laughs> <laughs> well i happen to uh, count myself among them so i can assure anyone who is actually listening um they are so Cass. we met actually i really absolutely love the story that you told me that you had been telling everybody else if you remember it um mm. about the first time that we <laughs> met because when Uh-oh. Cass when Cass first was uh i guess introduced to the idea of me you like you cursed my name. I was like, no, no, no. Get the fuck out of here. Yep. Just um, not, not, no. Cause so we, I'm not doing it. <laughs> we, we met, we met through the courtyard theater and uh, I did this thing where I would do like starting with Sweeney Todd, the first show that they did, I would do that show. And then like maybe one more right after. And then I'd take like a year long break and I'd come back and I'd do two or three shows. And then I'd take a year long break and come back around the same time. And it seemed like every damn time I came back, I was having another kid. 
I was going to say, you know, you took a year long break because you were having a baby. Yes. And that is, <laughs> that is an arduous fucking process. Um, no, it, it just so happened that, you know, for whatever reason, at that point in my life, I was going through job transitions or whatever. And when I would get a new job, I'd have to focus on that. I wouldn't have the time to come back and do um, the rehearsal process. So I would mm-hmm. forego coming back and doing shows that I very much so wanted to do. I still kick myself. I, I recognize in hindsight, my not being a part of the Rent show was a very good thing. Mm-hmm. And yet, Roger is on my list. Mm-hmm. I desperately want to play that role. So I, uh, so I get, I get, um, I really got talked in to doing the role in cozy. Oh, me too. Me too. And then not desire this role. And then I, um, couldn't be bothered to show up for the first week of rehearsals. Because I was my, my, so pissed off. My oh child, my to be clear, my child was in the neonatal intensive care yeah. unit yeah. because of complications from birth and things like that. Now, kiddo is 100% healthy. Um, even at that point, it was mostly for observation, but I'm not going to play rehearsal while my child is in the hospital. He was so, premature, right? It wasn't he, he was like due the tech week or something like that, and he was premature. Well, right? with Cozy, I was pretty sure that was when Sophia was born. Um, I don't know because, no, because Sophia was born while you're in, uh, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. No, you're exactly right. Yes. No, Roland. Oliver, right? Uh, no, sorry. This one, was, this one was Roland. Ro- yeah, I have sorry. So you're confusing. Kids. You're confusing which show you had a child born in. Jeremy. <laughs> yes, I did. Cause it was both. <laughs> so in Sweeney Todd, Sophia was born in, uh, Roland actually. Yes. Um, his mom suffered a placental abruption and, um, this caused him to inhale blood. Mm-hmm. and ingest blood so they had to kind of vacuum that out of there and then um they proceeded to uh put him in the neonatal intensive care unit to just monitor him make sure he was in good shape so on and so forth yeah, and, and it, it, it was just one of those things that i remember hearing oh well he's not here and and you were like the lead i was the lead he was the lead guys people who were listening he was the lead and he wasn't there for rehearsals and and this was and i didn't know what was going on but i'd never i'd never met him right and somebody said oh he always does this no and they I was didn't. like yeah they did <laughs> somebody said he always does this he doesn't show up for the first week because it's you know we're just screwing around and it's not worth his time and i was like well fuck that noise Okay, I'm going to go on record to say whoever that was, fuck you. That is, like, like seriously, wow. Um, Well, you know how people are in a theater. You know, we all all love each other and would stab each other in the back in a hot minute. I mean, it's just, it was... No, I I would not. Oh, Colby. Colby. We can't all have a heart that's literally made out of gold. We can't all be that person, okay? Now, I will say (laughs) that I also don't subscribe to this, um, but I'm also, like, I'm so fucking busy that I'm only at the theater long enough to be at the theater, and so I don't deal with, like, the the gossip and the shenaniganery in the back, you know what I mean? And and I am a jackass. (laughs) I mean, let me me explain, and let me explain to your audience. I, I own a small business. I run it from my laptop. And I was new to the area. I mean, I grew up in the area, but I hadn't lived there in 20 years, more than that. 
25 years, something like that. And, um, and I had been living in the Caribbean on an island in the Caribbean and had to come back to central Pennsylvania. So, I mean, even if you as an audience don't know what that means, you probably know what living on an island in the Caribbean means. Right. And having to leave your island in the Caribbean for anything is pretty sour. I mean, we literally just went over earlier the fact that it rains as much in Pennsylvania as the mythical it rains every other day places in Europe. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, While it's cold enough to hurt your face. And it's also cold enough to hurt your face. And, you know, there are no castles. Um, (laughs) Really, what other sins could a place have? Honestly, honestly. So um, I had just moved back to the place where I grew up, where I swore I would never go again. Mm -hmm. And for reasons I won't get into, but for for really good concrete reasons, um, for family reasons. And, and I was looking for something to do that could take my mind off the fact that I was in central Pennsylvania against my will. And I found the courtyard theater by accident. And and so I, I was one of those, I fully, fully own up to being one of those horrible community theater people who takes it too seriously because it's all she has in her life. And um, it's, it, it's rotten, but I know that's what I was because it was, it was too important to me. Sure. Be- because I, I, was, I was going through some really, really horrible shit with my family and it was the only way, it was the only reason I got out of the house. It was the only way I can get out of things. So the theater became really important to me. And I am a control freak. And, you know, when people are late, when people don't show up for rehearsals, it pisses me off because my world is very regimented. Now, I want to give you I want to give you a little bit of credit, though, because while uh, I can acknowledge everything that you just said, even if none of that was true, even if you were the most patient person in the world and and didn't feel the need to control it and it wasn't your solace in that moment, it was just something you were doing for funsies. Mm -hmm. This show has an unbelievably emotionally powerful scene that you were in. And that mm-hmm. I was With supposed you. to be there. We were the only and two I, people in the scene. Yeah. And I just flat out fucking wasn't for the first time that you had to do this thing. So, so that alone was, I, and so I like, I don't know that because you kind of told me that the story of the idea that like you really fucking hated me up until I walked in. Uh, because I, I didn't, I didn't hate you, but I didn't have any respect for you. I expect, because, okay. I can respect. Because I felt, I mean, I can't, I can't hate somebody like that. Um, but the, the reality was that here was the scene that I'd never done anything as difficult as the scene. And in order to do the scene well, I needed to trust the other person who was in the scene with me and I'd never met you. Right. And then you were supposed to be there for rehearsal and you weren't. And, and that was even, that was even before, um, Roland was born, I think. Um, no, the only reason I missed rehearsal was because of his birth. 
Oh, I thought it was, I thought you missed because you were changing jobs or something as well. Nope. But nope. That was 100% because it was just that first week and it was just oh, because yeah. he was in uh, the NICU and uh, that was the only reason that I wasn't there. Yeah. And then of course, you know, I'm a dickhead. So I'm like, you know, I'm like, well, why, why isn't he here? Why isn't he here? We have to rehearse. Like, oh, his child is in the neonatal intensive care unit at the local hospital. And I, and then, so you're standing there going, that's a good reason. Now I have to climb down. How am I going to climb down? <laughs> well, he shouldn't have taken a role and he shouldn't have taken the lead role in this thing if he was about to have a child. <laughs> I think you told me that at, at one point you had said to somebody, how dare he have a child right when we're supposed to be doing this play. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and obviously that's, that's me turning it into a joke. How dare you have a child in the middle right, of this right, important right. community theater production of this really <laughs> crappy show. Um, but, but the reality was, you know, I was just like, okay, that's a really, really good excuse. And here I am being a dick about it. <laughs> <laughs> but I will say... I, I own it. I own it. Right. I was a dick. I but was then, a dick. What, but did you, what did you say after I came in, though? So let's, let's turn this around a little bit. Oh, shit, you're going to make me remember. Uh, I'm not. I'll just tell you because I'm also Tell me, really tell me because I don't remember. I'm really good at tooting my own horn, too, because the first time that you actually told me this story, you were like, yeah, and then you came in and you knew your lines better than anybody else, and we did the scene it's one true. time, and it was absolutely flawless, and immediately all of my concerns melted away. And I was like, it's yeah, true. because I'm fucking amazing when I get when I put my mind to it. Because, yeah, I, I skipped rehearsals, but you better fucking believe that I had that script in hand in the hospital mm -hmm. room, and I was going over it with uh, the mother of my children, um, and then every single day leading up to it like I had my lines and most of everybody else's lines memorized for like the first three quarters of the script by the time I walked into the first rehearsal awesome because yeah, I, mean, I was, was so it, it, stressed about it not was great it. and you know you know what it was like I mean you know what it, I've I've done shows there that other people who shall remain nameless because I don't care about him enough to give him a name um, would read his fucking script during the show. <laughs> yeah. During the performance. Um, you know? We, and, I, I will let you know if it makes you feel better. Everyone involved still makes fun of that. Yeah. To this day. And they should. Just, you know, it was yeah. horrible. You know, I mean, I understand going right up to tech week and, and not being able to let go of your script because of whatever else is going on in your life. It's community. Sure. You know, yeah. I understand it. And I understand getting nervous and missing lines, you know, during tech week. And, and I understand getting nervous and missing lines during the performance. We've all done it. But, but there's, there's a certain amount of completely disrespecting your fellow actors when you don't learn your lines because yep. he did that. And then he would fucking cut my, my joke off. Yep. Oh God. Yeah. You know, because he, and he would deliver the long line, wrong line, and then it would screw up my performance. And I just wanted to punch him in the face. Well, you had the script in your hand. Like, how do you mess it up that bad? Like yeah. I get you're, you're trying really hard to not let people know that you have the script in your hand, but come on, man. Like, yeah, but come on. everybody knows, <laughs> but everybody knows, everybody can see it. Everybody knows you're going to the clipboard every time you have a line to speak. Like, it's just, it's, it's really incredible. It um, so and, pissed me off, but, but you weren't him. You weren't like, that at all when you came in and you knew all your lines you knew all my lines i think i flubbed the line and you told me what my line was and i was like well gee thanks remy <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, 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 that checks um, and, and and then you became this person that i could trust because right. you know the scene that we did together yeah and it, it was, was so uh, i i've never done anything remotely like that i mean mostly i do comedy and it was so intense and so hard and i really had to 
be there in the moment with the person who was in the scene with me. And, um, and I sound, I sound, I, Jesus sound like one of these idiots on Graham Norton talking about stuff that's more important than it is. Um, <laughs> but no, it, but, but it was, it was a big deal, you know, because it was, it was a crappy show and we were going to have two people in the audience, but I wanted it to be the best I could right. do. And, and you really came through for me and it, but it, but it, the change was, you know, the minute you walked in and you knew all your lines, you became a trustworthy person. And I realized that everything I had assumed about you was incorrect. Well, thank you. And you know, because, just, to give, just to give a little bit of backstory to exactly what we're talking about, because I feel like we've talked about this scene before, but since I have you on here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and, and flesh it out a little bit for the people. Um, so Cozy is a uh, stage production that was also made into a movie at one point, and for some reason, the director decided that we should use the movie script on stage, don't get me started. And, oh my God. Um, and so the transitions <laughs> were really weird and funky, and like it was, it was very strange. But there's one particular scene in the show where Cass's character, who uh, believed that her husband was going to come and pick her up from the insane asylum any day. So my character, Lewis, was a, a director who's getting ready to direct like his first show, and he ends up doing it as essentially a community works project at the local asylum. And um, this show has a storied, opinioned history where it comes to mental illness. And I will say, I don't think that this, um, th- th- this movie and this show absolutely makes fun of it in a pretty, um, a pretty, uh, I, I'm even comfortable calling it a disrespectful way, uh, but yeah. it was written yeah. a long time ago. And yeah. um, so that said, uh, it tries to lean on the comedic aspect the same way that Jim Carrey did in um, the first Ace Ventura. Uh, mm-hmm. lean on the comedic aspect of an insane asylum. Well, Cass's character believes that her husband is coming to pick her up any day. And then she finds out he's actually run off with another woman. And uh, so they're in the middle of creating costumes for this show. They've decided that they're going to do Cosi Fantute, the opera, as mm-hmm. the show. And um, so they're making costumes and Cass, Cass, what the hell was your character's name? Do you remember? Ruth, I think it was Ruth. Ah, I was, it was totally Ruth. So Ruth uh, Ruth fucks off into another scene, into like leaves the scene, and I'm just standing there, like you know, ah, ha, ha, everything's great, and like somebody hits my arm and like points after, and I'm like, yeah, no kidding, and then they're like, no, like go, and I'm like, oh right, so I run out, and the spotlight comes up on the other side of the stage, and there's Ruth on her knees with a pair of of scissors, and she's about to open up her arm. No, it was a a, um, a box a cutter. box cutter, and box she's cutter. A, and she's yeah. about to open up her arm. And I gently like walked in behind, saw what was happening, froze, and then walked up and kind of put my hand on her back. And she just collapsed into me and started just sobbing and uh, picked up the box cutter, threw it across the stage um, and just wrapped my arms around her and let her just completely sink into me. And it was amazingly powerful. And your performance was uh, insane. Like I was, I was just there. <laughs> but you, like you just absolutely commanded that every single time. And it was, I mean, I could feel uh, the audience's reaction every mm-hmm. single time we did that scene. Yeah. It, it was, it was one of those things that like, like, like Remy said, the show was, I didn't want to do the show originally because when I saw, I watched the movie and I thought, this is mocking people's mental issues, and I'm not cool with that. Right. But like you said, it was made like in the 90s, you know, and, and we weren't so aware. But it was also, it was also elevating people out of their misery. Um, you know, the whole, the whole point was that the, the, 
the young director who comes to direct this play, he hates doing it, but he has to do it because he needs a job. And he ends up elevating these people out of their, their, the misery of being in a mental institution and they end up elevating him as well. You know, I mean, right. it's, it's, it's this really cool thing that happens, but it was, it was really difficult to do the movie version. What was originally a play made into a movie and then do the movie version on a stage because you don't have the cuts and the close-ups and all that kind of stuff. So, right. so there's me and Remy on the stage doing this incredibly powerful thing where I, don't even know if people could see that I had a box cutter on my wrist. As know? someone, as someone who saw the show, you could. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. And that was that was that was Matt. Matt with the light, or Matt and Chris. No, yeah. Matt was in it. Matt was in it. Chris um, with the lighting. Chris was yeah. really, really. Um, he he had. We checked out the spotlight that he put on us to make sure that it's shown on the the box cutter. Um, but it was kind of one of those things like, does anybody, is anybody going to get what I'm doing here and what's going on? And, and, you know, everything has to be so much bigger than life on a stage. So how do you express that I'm, I'm that desperate, I'm going to kill myself. And then the relief when she doesn't have to. Right. Yeah. It, It was, it was really difficult. Like I said, I do comedy. I fall down and do funny things. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Which is what the majority of the show was. Yeah. That one moment. Yeah, it was, it was hard. And, and, and you can see, you know, knowing that, knowing about that intense scene, you can see why I was so upset with someone who I thought was going to just be like, oh yeah, I'll show up and say my lines. Right. I'll, I'll be I'll be there on the day. It's fine, you know, because <laughs> you you couldn't do that. You couldn't just walk your way through that. I couldn't do the scene without some. I this that scene is not done by one person. That scene no. is done by two people. And and the, and the kind of vulnerability you need for that, like you need to be comfortable with the person you're doing that scene with. Yeah, that, that's and a then, hard scene to just do and trust that the other person is there for it. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it really you both have to be in. You both have to buy into it. Totally, yeah. or else it doesn't work at all. And I was really rather proud of it. But uh, one thing that I think I don't think Remy really realizes is every night when I turned around and and hugged you, I was trying to knock you over. No, you fucking told me that. Every you told me that, night, and I was like, I bring like, it on. I was like, how how hard can I hit him? How hard can I hit him before he goes down? Hack him, motherfucker. <laughs> she tried, but I I don't think I went down a single time. So no, you didn't. There. You didn't. I was like, I was like, mm, and coil and spring. <laughs> That's hysterical. Uh, because because I'm never going to get to use this again in such an excellent fashion. Cast use tackle. It was not very effective. <laughs> well done, Colby. I'm proud of you for taking that moment. You saw your moment, and you took it, and yeah, you I never looked right. back. And I appreciate it so much. Well, we blithered on uh, this entire time about that one show, and I and I do have to say, I, despite the fact, like because I'm still involved with the group of people uh, who were also involved with the courtyard pretty frequently. Uh, Mm -hmm. I oftentimes have to hear um, that work and some of the other things that I've done um, really just being shown 
because of the decisions that were made uh, and the, the lack of quality that was involved because of the people running the show. Uh, and that, that could get a little bit uh, frustrating, but I will tell you this. I had a blast every time I was up on that stage. Whether there was five people in the audience, whether there was 500, well, there was never 500, uh, yeah. but whether we filled the place or we didn't, um, I always had a, a, an amazingly good time and uh, Cozy was absolutely no different. And uh, before anybody asks, no, it wasn't just because I got to kiss two different women on stage. Um, <laughs> although that, uh, I will tell you, uh, poor Natalie totally fucked that scene up because my, my significant other at the time was in the audience the yeah. one night and yeah. she knew it. And so she felt so uncomfortable kissing me with her in the audience that like, mm-hmm. she just completely botched that scene, the poor thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, it was, uh, it, it was, it was a lot of fun. And I'm really glad that, I mean, I am a firm believer that um, people are brought together for a reason, whether you want to, whoever you want to attribute that to, whatever you want to attribute that to, um, you being in that theater was not an accident. And yeah. uh, this, the, the relationship that we've built since then, I think is a testament to that fact. Uh, and I feel very comfortable saying that. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And you know, I'm, I'm really, I'm, I'm not person for the woo. I am totally anti-woo. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's, there's a, we, we met for, we had to meet. We I very much agree. Mm-hmm. And and then you know we we go out to one of the local wherever the fuck it was probably Applebee's or some shit. It was uh, Applebee's. It was yeah. always Applebee's. It this was show, always Applebee's. Well, because it's Central Pennsylvania, it's either an Applebee's or a fucking truck stop. Um, right. And unfortunately, this show is not presently sponsored by Applebee's. But if you're listening, <laughs> we can eat good in the neighborhood. Um, oh God, yeah. That they had things there that were the appetizers. Yep, and they were always so... half price by the time we went over there. Oh my God, and they. They strove to make me a sidecar. Every did time they? I showed, that. they did. They really, they really, really tried very hard to make but me. But did a they ever succeed? They, they did pretty well. They okay. did pretty well. You know, I mean, I have to say, I have had better sidecars in my life. Sure, but, but you were at an Applebee's. Yeah, but at an Applebee's, yeah, they did. They did really good, and they kept them coming, and that was the important thing. They put them in very, very large glasses. And yes, because they didn't important. really understand how to make a sidecar. Right, right. They just, they were just like, if we put enough alcohol in here, she's after the first one, she's not going to notice anymore. <laughs> because that's how you don't understand what a sidecar is. Because a sidecar is alcohol with alcohol and then mixed with some alcohol. Ah, and, well. it's, and it's normally the size of like a thimble. Yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 more, it's somewhat more than a shot. And that's about it. <laughs> yeah, well, but, but they say, oh, it's, it's, it's three parts cognac and and two parts Grand Marnier and one part fresh lemon juice. So they do, okay, we'll do three measures of cognac. <laughs> and oh, then wow. they've got like, like a pint. <laughs> oh, God. So just put it in a pint glass. It's fine. I can take it. Do you, um, <laughs> do you have like a favorite recipe for a sidecar that you've ever come across? Or like yeah, three, two, one. That's it. You <laughs> Get your brandy, you know, I'm not brandy, cognac. cognac. Yeah. Three, three parts cognac, one par, uh, two parts Grand Marnier, one part fresh lemon juice. Fresh lemon juice is important. And then you put it in a cocktail glass. You know what a cocktail glass is? Well, yes. You call it a martini glass. Yes. The, the uneducated call it a martini glass, but a cocktail glass. And the cocktail glass around the rim of the cocktail glass is sugar. Like mm. you do a, 
a margarita okay. with salt, you do it with sugar around the rim of the cocktail glass. Gotcha. And, uh, and that's, that's, that's it. I, I developed a predilection for a very particular drink. And apparently uh, it very much so informs on my personality because I didn't know this when I decided that this was my favorite drink of all time. But apparently the fucking mojito is really difficult to come by. <laughs> I, I, yeah. went, hmm. I, have been, I was on a mojito kick for a while and you would not believe the amount of places they're like, well, we have no mojito mix. I'm like, mix. But yeah, like, bitch, I didn't ask mix. you to like pour this out of a fucking bottle. You go get yeah. some mint and yeah. you get some simple syrup and you yeah. go make me a fucking mojito. Like, yeah, like, mojito like on mix. the beach back yeah. in St. Croix. You just freaking, you have sugar and you have mint. Go pick some mint at the garden and you've <laughs> like, got rum. Of course you've got rum. You're done. You better like, have rum. Mo- motherfucker, how do you not know how to muddle?